when uh, the producers of that video made that video, uh, they had a very specific event in mind that they were trying to address, and uh, they didn't really, in my opinion, address it in that video, and to be honest with you, I'm glad that they didn't, uh, because I think to address one specific issue in that video, or one specific event in that video, really would limit it, uh, the, the impact that the power of that video can speak into our lives. You see, I don't know uh, anyone in this room uh, sitting here, or anybody sitting at home right now, that if you were to look at your life now versus where you were at five years ago, I don't know anybody sitting here or anybody watching online that your life looks exactly the same way it did five years ago. In fact, I would venture to say that most of us sitting here, most of us watching online, your life doesn't even look like you planned like it would look now five years ago. That things have happened, changes have happened, things have taken place in your life within the past five years, maybe the last five days, maybe the last five minutes, that have somewhat drastically changed for you. In fact, I spent through, uh, this part of this week uh, with three different families connected with our church, and that all three of them faced very different life-altering situations, situations that honestly, uh, I would say that none of them expected a year ago. In fact, some of them didn't even expect this situation a couple of weeks ago. And, and these families, and really for all of us here this morning, if we're honest, our, our lives are in this constant state of flux. Our, our lives are in this constant state of change, this constant rearranging and transitioning. And, and for some of us, these changes are life-altering. It means they can completely change the course of not just your day, but your entire worldview or your entire life. For some of us, these, these changes that we're encountering right now, they're just little speed bumps. They're not life-altering. They're just little inconveniences, things that we didn't expect, we didn't plan on. And so they're just little speed bumps that kind of slow us down or maybe deter us just a little bit. And for some of us, if we're honest, some of the changes that we've encountered now and in the past couple of days and weeks and months, maybe even years, they've been blessings to us. These not all changes are bad. And some of us have been blessings in disguise because they didn't look like blessings when we got them. They didn't feel like blessings when we got them. But later on, time went on and we're like, oh, okay, God, now I see what you were doing. And so I'll be honest with you, I don't know where you're at this morning. And I don't know the struggles that you're in, and I don't know the changes that you're going through and, and the changes that you're maybe being just overwhelmed with in this moment. But I don't have to. Because my goal is not to know that about you this morning. My goal is to get you to Hebrews chapter 7 in verse 23. And my goal is to introduce you to the one who does know. And introduce you to the one who is permanent. When all else changes, when all else falls away, when all else really is rattled and shaken, He is the one constant permanent thing in all of our life. And so if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 7. And I went ahead and got tissues because it's one of those days. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 23. And not only do I have tissues, but I'm going to start with an apology. Some of you are note takers, and some of you are outline people, and you like to follow the outline that I gave you in the, the uh, bulletin or that was online. And some of you have been in my Wednesday night class, and you know that I get a little antsy and excited when I make outlines and handouts, and I don't always get to them. Today is one of those days, okay? I'm just going to be straight up and honest with you. So if you're looking at your outline, don't look at your watch for number one, okay? But if you're looking at your outline, we're going to get through point number one. And that's it. 
All right, so point two, three, and four, we're going to roll those into to the text that we're going to, it fits perfectly in the text that we're going to cover next week anyway, so uh, we're just going to roll into those because, man, there is just so much in point number one that we just, man, it's, it's going to be awesome. So let's go. Um, Hebrews chapter seven, I'm going to read the whole thing, verse 23 uh, through verse 28, and we're going to go. So Hebrews chapter seven, verse 23, says, now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from, retain, from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He doesn't need to offer sacrifices every day as high priests do, first for their own sins and then for those of the people. He did this once for all when he offered himself. But the law appoints a high priest, men who are weak. But the promise of the oath which came after the law appoints a God, who, or excuse me, appoints a son who has been perfected forever. Let's pray together. God, we have so many reasons to praise you this morning. God, regardless of what our situation is like, God, regardless of how far we are strayed and regardless of how far we fell from you, regardless of the changes and the fluxes and the transitions we find ourselves in and the crushing, overwhelming weight of this world, God, we have so many reasons to praise you. God, I thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you for your grace that speaks to us and for us in every situation on the highest mountain and in the lowest valleys of our life. God, I simply pray for whoever is in this room right now and whoever is watching online. God, I'm praying for those that don't know you right now. God, who are overwhelmed and being crushed by all the changes that are going on in their lives and in this world, God, that let today be the day, God, they find this permanent priest that they can cling to for all of eternity. God, today I'm praying for every broken heart in this room and every broken heart online. God, let them find this perfect permanent priest that loves them enough to never leave them nor forsake them and to always have his place with them. So, God, in spite of my weaknesses, in spite of my failures, God, I pray that your text is clearly speaking to us today. God, let your word ring in our ears so that it sinks into our hearts and our minds. God, that we will know beyond all doubt of your grace and your mercy and your love for us. God, that we will be overwhelmed. Now, there's so many reasons we have to praise you. So, God, I pray that you speak. I pray with eager ears 
and a wide open heart that we listen, Father. God, we give you this time to do what only you can do, Father. To save us to the uttermost and to intercede on our behalf. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All three of my kids, I told you it's tissue day, sorry. Whew. All three of my kids have entered this time in their life that is a little different for us. We, uh, we've entered this time in their life where we've started having to schedule extra doctor's appointments. You see, we, we had the regular doctor's appointments, you know, your, your yearly physical that you go to, your yearly well check that you go to, and uh, then we got their, their regular dentist visits that we've had to go to, and uh, so say every six months we have to schedule those, and now we have this whole new set of doctor's appointments that we're having to go to, and We've honestly been having to do it for a couple of years now. Uh, every six months, we now enter into this whole new world, the world of the orthodontics. All right? We are, we are in that phase in our life, in our kids' life, where, where the discussion is about braces. And, and uh, we have one that's just on the cusp. In fact, got a schedule to get her braces fairly soon and, and pray for the Rakes family because the other two are not far behind her. And so uh, when we planned to have kids this close together, we didn't really think about this part of it, of all being in braces at the same time, all getting cars. And we just didn't think about that. And we honestly were hoping Jesus was going to come back before any of this happened, just to be honest with you with you. That was our goal, all right? But he hasn't for some reason, and that's up to him. So here we are. Maybe the tribulation is here, and we're, we're almost there. I'm just kidding. Um, join me on Wednesday night. We'll talk about all that good stuff. Anyway, but we've entered this world of the orthodontist, and, and if you've, you've been through this process, and some of you know that uh, we're in that stage where we're talking about the different stages of what's going to happen, and for you guys that have been there, and you've you experienced that with your kids, or maybe with yourself, you know that it doesn't, it's not just a one-time thing, there's this whole process, there's the initial uh, braces stage, where you have the brackets, and the wires, and the bands, and all that, and you have to go get those checked, and fixed, and tightened, and all that, and so there's that initial stage of the braces that do most of the straightening, right? And they do most of the work, and then they get your teeth perfectly in line, and then they take those things off. And then you enter the second stage of the process, because any dentist or any orthodontist will tell you that if you just stopped with the first process, if you just stopped with the braces, then your teeth have this tendency, even though you just spent all these time and all this energy and all this work lining them up perfectly so you got this nice, beautiful smile, that's not their normal position, and so your teeth are just like you when you're not in a normal position. They want to slide back to where they were at in the first place. And so even though you spent years and thousands of dollars lining all that stuff up, if you don't follow through with the second phase, then they're just going to shift back. right? And the second phase is that notorious temporary retainer that people have to wear. All right? And I call it notorious because I honestly have never met, and maybe you're the exception to the rule, all right? uh, but I've worked with teenagers for years and, and been around teenagers for years, and I've never met anybody, and, and like I said, you may be the exception, I've never met anybody who has started with one retainer and kept it that same retainer all the way through the process. I don't know anybody that's done that, okay? That may be you. You may be the exception. And, and if you are, praise God, and, and your parents are so thankful for you, okay? I can tell you the other adults in your life are thankful to you too because I can tell you I have dug through trash cans when you leave them on their tray at McDonald's and then throw the whole thing away, right? Those things are always getting thrown away. They're always um, being left behind. 
we have left, we've been on a mission trip and, and, and stopped and eaten at Chick-fil-A and then taken off down the road. And then we get about a mile down the road and some kid's like, oh, I left my retainer. And my first instinct is always like, well, it's gone now. And then they tell me how much those things cost. And I'm like, all right, we're going back. And so we go back and we start looking for these things. And they're always being thrown away. They're always being left behind. They're always either breaking. My brother was in toys. I don't know how he did it, but he, he would constantly break his or, or wear them out. And, and so they were always these notorious temporary things, these little devices that were designed to hold your teeth in place and not let them start drifting back to their original spot. And, uh, but they, they just never lasted the entire process. Now, I'm not an orthodontist. Right? I'll just go ahead and tell you that in case you didn't know. I'm not an orthodontist. I'm not a dentist. I have no medical degree whatsoever. But I have found that they make these things called permanent retainers. And so my question to these orthodontists, and, and some of you, you can probably answer this question. My question is, why do we waste time with a temporary thing that's going to wear out, break, and have to be replaced over and over and over again? That's going to be left behind, thrown away, and, and, and we have to keep repaying for these things. Why do we mess with that versus why don't we just put that permanent thing in there to start with? When the whole braces stage is over, why don't we just put that permanent one there that's kind of behind your teeth? Let's be honest. If it's permanent and stuck to your teeth, you're not going to leave it behind, right? You're not going to throw it away. We're not going to have to dig through the trash can for you. It's probably not going to wear out as quickly. You're, you're not going to leave it behind. You're not going to forget to put it in at night because you didn't take it out in the morning. Like You're not going to have to. And so it would just seem easier to me. It seems like a better solution if we just put the permanent one in there instead of this temporary thing, all right? Now, again, I'm not an orthodontist. I'm not a dentist, but I'm sure they have reasons for this and besides the money aspect of it, which is really, I think, where the reason is. But that's just that's the Michael Rakes version. But for me, I just don't understand. If we have a permanent solution, then why are we settling for something that's temporary instead of going automatically to something that's permanent? Right? And I tell you all that, not to talk about braces, but because that's the, almost the exact argument that the writer of Hebrews is making in chapter 7 and verse 23. Now, he's not talking about braces at all. He's talking about the priesthood of Christ. Is Christ being your priest? Right? And for you guys that have been with us, um, the, the, you guys that have been with us, you know that for the past few months, we've been walking our way through the book of Hebrews. And, and, and really, this whole idea of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better and superior than Joshua. He's better and superior than anything you've tried to relate to God with. And, and so it, we, we started this topic of he's better and he's a better high priest. In fact, we started all the way in chapter 4. Now, some of you don't remember that because we had Christmas and we took a break in between. But all the way back in chapter 4, and he's carried this same topic of Christ's priesthood through chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, all the way in chapter 7. And he continues it into the first part of chapter 8. Right? That, that's four chapters of a 13-chapter book. He, he spends a fourth of the book. I think a fourth if I did my math right. Yeah. He, I'm sorry, a third, my bad. He, he spends a third of the book dedicated to the priesthood of Christ and why it's superior to everything else. And, and I want you to understand that for you and for me, this may seem a little odd because we don't have priests. We, we don't, this is not what we normally do. We have this guy that comes up and talks after these people sing, and we don't call him a priest. And so this whole idea of a priest and priesthood is different for us. But I want you to understand who he's talking to because for them, the priest was not just a person. The priesthood was not just the guy that stands up and talks for an hour or two hours on a Sunday or Saturday morning. 
what the priest and the priesthood was, he represented so much more than himself. What he did is he represented this connection between the people and God. He was really the representative of the people to God. He, he was the communication line, if you will, between sinful people and a perfect holy God. And, and this really just represents their entire religious system, their entire belief system. And so the part of the reason he spends so much time dedicating so much energy and pages to this is because he's not just telling you about a priest. He's telling you about a way to connect and communicate with the God who created you and the God who loves you. And so he spends all this time talking about these priests and talking about the priesthood of Christ and why it's superior. And he tells us kind of the first reason that it's superior um, is simply in verse 23. And it's simply this, because the communication line, the connection and the relationship between the people of Israel and the God of Israel kept getting interrupted. And in verse 23, tells us why it kept getting interrupted. In verse 23, he writes this, he says, Now many have become Levitical priests. That is the priesthood that they're under, right? Many have become Levitical priests since they were prevented by death from remaining in office. You see, when the priests died, there was this interruption in the relationship. There was this interruption in the communication between the people and the God that they were trying to serve. And there was this break because when the priest died, especially when the high priest died, somebody had to fill that role. Right? And there was a process of figuring out who that somebody was going to be. And so you had to go through the process of figuring out who the new priest was going to be or who the new high priest was going to be. And then that person had to go through all of these different rites and all these different rituals and all these spiritual cleans or ritual cleansings and, and this ordination process. And all of that had to happen before they could go in the temple and before they could go in the tabernacle, before they could go in the Holy of Holies and start doing their work as the priest. And so what it really does is everything else that the priest does really gets put on hold for that process. Everything else kind of stops in that process. And so I want you to think, if the priest is your relationship to God, if the priest is your communication connection with God, and all of a sudden there is no priest, then what does that mean about your communication with God? What does that mean about your connection and your relationship with God? It stopped. It's been put on pause for just a moment. And so all the sacrifices, all the blessings that the priest had to do, all of that gets put on hold for just a little bit of time until this new priest can, can do all these things. And so uh, there's, there's, there's kind of this antsy feeling of what happens if something major happens when we don't have a priest. What happens if, if an enemy attacks us and we don't have a priest to go to God and beg for us? What happens if an enemy attacks us? Or what happens if I, if I do something terrible and I sin terribly and I don't have a priest to go do a sacrifice for me? What happens if I die then? Who's going to connect me back to God? And so understand, this interruption was not a small thing for them. It was not just, oh, okay, it's fine, we'll just form a committee, and we'll get that committee together, and we'll have these supply pastors come. It's not like when we change pastors at all, right? This was a major thing for them. And so this problem kept coming up over and over and over again. And so the writer of Hebrews is like, listen, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be so much easier if we just had a priest that wouldn't die? 
You know, wouldn't it be easier if we didn't have to go through this transition every generation or every three years or six years or ten years or ever how long they live? What if we just had this priest that wasn't susceptible to death? Maybe this one that, I don't know, maybe somebody that like has been through death already and, and defeated death already. What if we had that kind of priest? What if we had this priest that really could be a permanent solution to our problem? So in verse 24, the writer steps and he goes, Hey, if you're looking for a permanent solution, I got it. His name is Jesus. And so look with me in verse 24. He says, But because he, being Jesus, remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. So, so your, your, some of your translation may say that he continues forever, or that, meaning that it has no end. But uh, since Christ has already defeated death, and since he's already been raised from the death, then death does not limit or end his priesthood. Since he is permanent, his priesthood is permanent. Which for you and me, you're like, oh yeah, we know that. But think in their context. If we have a priest that doesn't change then that means we have a priesthood that doesn't change. If we have a priesthood that doesn't change, that means there's no interruption in the connection between us and God. There is no pausing or delaying. There's no break in the system. There's no waiting and having to think, oh, well, maybe, maybe my sins won't be forgiven this time. Maybe an enemy's going to attack us. We don't have to worry about any of this thing. Because we have this priest that is permanent. We have this priest that is not going to die. He's already faced death. He's already defeated death. And we have this priest that is permanent, never going to change. He continues and he stays and he remains forever. Now, here's the beauty of this passage. Because some of you are like, oh yeah, I get that. That's not a big deal. The big deal comes in verse 25. Because in verse 25, man, he literally opens up. There, there are so many massive implications to what it's like to have a priest that doesn't change, a priest that doesn't fade away, and a priest that doesn't die. And so in verse 25, man, he lays two of the biggest ones on us, all right? And two of these massive ideas on us. So I want you to look uh, in verse 25 with us. He says in the start of verse 25, we're, in fact, we're going to have to break this up because there's so much here. In verse 25, he starts out saying, Therefore, because he's a priest forever, because he remains forever, therefore, he is able to save those who come to God through him. Now, man, this, i got to tell you, out of all the verses that we've read today, this one is huge. This, there's so much to unpack in the, this verse, and even in the first part of this verse, this is the first implication of him being a permanent high priest, is that he is able to save. Right? And so we're going to unpack this first phrase of this verse, but we're actually going to do it kind of in reverse order. We're going to start at the, the end of the first phrase and then work our way back to the beginning. Because at the end of the first phrase... We have both the place of salvation and the means of achieving that salvation. All right? So I want you to look with me what it says in that verse. Right? In that verse, it says, He is able to save those who come to God through Him. Right? So the place of salvation is with God. The place of salvation is where God is at. That is our destination. That is the goal. That is what we want to achieve in salvation and what our goal of salvation is. To get to God, to be with God, to be connected with God both physically and spiritually in this. Like it was in the very beginning. You see in the Garden of Eden when God created everything, He, he walked with Adam and Eve. And you can go back and read in the book of Genesis 
Because it literally says that, that he walked in the garden and he talked with them in the garden. There was this face-to-face interaction with him in the garden. And there was no shame, there was no guilt, everything was exposed and nobody felt any different, nobody felt odd. There was no shame, there was nothing distant, there was no separation between where God was and where humans were at. Now I don't know about you, but I sometimes feel a very big distance between where I'm at and where God's at. And so what it means to be saved is to means be back to where it all started. To be restored back to that place where there is no separation between you and God. To be in that place, in that state where you are with God, where you're walking with God and you're talking with God, you're spending time with God. To be in that place where all is exposed and there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no remorse. None of that is holding you back. You're not hiding behind a fig leaf. Or you're not hiding behind a tree anymore because you are so connected with God the way He designed you and created you to be. That is the place of salvation. That is the mean or the goal of salvation. That is the 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 how we or that is what we are trying to achieve when we talk about salvation. We are trying to reconnect back to the God who created us and loved us. We're trying to reconnect back to the God who made us in the first place. So we have the place and then he tells us the means or the way to get there. You see the place is to God. How do we get there? Through Christ. This is the permanent Priest, this is the one who can connect you back to the Father and connect you back to the Creator. He connects you back to this all-seeing, all-powerful, almighty God of the universe. And I want to share with you that this is an echo of what Jesus says about Himself in John chapter 14, verse 6, when He describes Himself. Very familiar passage for many of us when He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then He goes on to say that no one comes to the Father except through Me. And so if you want to get to God, the only way to do it is to get through Christ. If you're going to get to the place of salvation, the place that we want to be, the only way to do it is through Christ. He is the only way to get to the salvation that we want to, that we are trying to achieve. And so listen to me clearly this morning in this. Let me pause here. I want you to hear me. I don't care if anybody else tells you another way to Christ or another way to God. There are not 7 billion people in the world who have 7 different billion ways to get to God. There is one way to get to God. There is only one way to achieve salvation. And it is to God through Christ Jesus. If you're going to get to God, if you're going to get to salvation, if you're going to get to heaven, back to the Creator, you're going to do it through Christ and Christ alone. You see, I've got to tell you, there's a powerful statement in that first fact already. There's a powerful statement because that tells me there's a God who created me. But it tells me there's a God who, even though I broke a relationship with Him, even though I failed Him, and even though I've sinned miserably over and over and over again, there's a God who not only loved me and created me, but He loved me enough to make a way for me to come back to Him. He is the place of salvation, but He also provides the means of salvation. He provides the way back to Him this morning. And here's the beauty of that passage because it doesn't end there. The, the, the power of this statement, I want you to look back with me again at the first part of verse 25 for a minute. The first part is so beautiful because he says, Therefore, because he's the permanent high priest, he is always able to save. 
And if you've got a different translation, it may say that he is able to save to the uttermost, or he's able to save forever. You see, uh, the Greek word is, is, it can be translated all of those. It can be always, it can be uttermost, it can be uh, forever, but it all carries the same idea. It carries through to completion. Right? So I want you to understand that what he's talking about when he says save to the uttermost or save uh, forever or save completely or, or always save, this is a, a forward-looking direction. This is not a backwards direction. Okay? This is not a question of how far Jesus has to reach down to grab you. That's not what he's talking about here. Because all of us sitting here know where we are at, how far we are from God. And so for most of us, the question of will Jesus reach down here to get me is really not the question we're addressing here. Because if we ever doubt that Jesus would reach down to wherever you are at to get you, then just look at the cross and it will clearly tell you this is how far He will reach down to get you. That He would leave all of perfection, all of heaven, all of the streets of gold, all of the angels singing His praise. And He would walk our filthy streets and He would come to a cross and die a painful death. And you think that He won't reach down and save you? That's not the question because the cross is the answer. Yes, He will. But this is not talking about how far He reached down. This is talking about where He's getting you to. Because it's one thing to pick you up. It's another thing to take you to a new location. And that's what this verse is talking about. It's talking about where He's taking you to. And so it's talking about this, that, that He saves us completely. If salvation is a place, if it's with God or to God, as we said before, and He's the means to get us there, then He and He alone is the way. But He is also completely the way. It is not by our works that we get there. Let me put it to you this way. If, if I or you were looking to buy a car, all right, so, so just imagine you're, you're, in the, you're in the market for a car. You have one goal for a car, right? I mean, most of us have, like, we have, like, this is our dream car, this is what we want. But all that aside, all right, one goal. I want a car that's going to get me from point A to point B. That is the purpose of a car, okay? So put all the other stuff beside right now, okay? The goal of a car, the only reason you need a car is not to have leather seats. You can have that on your couch, okay? It's not to have heat or, or defroster. It's not to have um, uh, autopilot or any of that stuff. The goal and the purpose of a car, one thing, point A to point B. If it doesn't achieve that goal, then it's not worth having, right? Everybody agree with that? I am not looking, if I'm looking for a car and you're looking for a car, I'm not looking for a car that cannot achieve point A to point B. I'm not looking for a car that's going to leave me stranded somewhere in the middle and then me have to either thumb my way or push the car or tow the car to point B. I am only interested in a car that's going to get me from here to there. I'm not interested in a car. And so if I go to a car lot, if I go to a car dealership and I'm looking at this car and I'm like, I don't know about this car. And the guy's like, oh, I assure you, this car's great. It'll get you halfway to where you want to go. I'm not interested anymore. None of you are going to put your money on a car that's going to get you halfway to where you want to go, right? Let's be honest. What if the dealer looked at you and said, this car will get you three-fourths of the way you want to go? I'm still not interested. I'm going to be honest with you. If that car salesman looks at me and it's the best car, it's the dream car, everything I ever wanted it to be, and he goes, I will tell you this car will get you 99% of the way of where you want to go. I'm still not buying that car. Why? Because I don't want a car that cannot achieve the goal of getting me from point A to point B. 
right? None of us sit in this room. I know some of you have trailers and some of you have campers and, and some of us are, we love that lifestyle. But listen, none of us are going to take the time to hook our camper or hook our trailer and hook all the stuff that we hook up to a truck that we don't think is going to get us to the campground, right? If we don't think we're going to achieve the goal of getting in the campground, we're not going to take the time to hook all that stuff up. And now some of you aren't campers, but you like to go on vacation. You're not going to put all the energy and the effort of packing all this luggage in the car and getting the kids all in the car if you don't think the car is going to make it to where you want to go. Right? Why would we ever settle for less than all the way there? And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is making to the point to the people who are reading this book. Why would you ever settle in the means of salvation for a priest who cannot get you all the way there? What he's telling you is there is a priest, a permanent priest, who's not going to break down halfway. He's not going to die halfway. He's not going to leave you stranded halfway. He's going to get you from point A to point B. And there's not going to be a time that he cannot do that. There's not going to be a time when you're left stranded on your own. There's not going to be a time when you have to figure this out on your own. And so we wouldn't settle for this for a car. Why would we leave it, our salvation in the same tracks? Why would we ever settle for a priest that looks at you and says, Hey, I got you started on the right direction. Now you need to get out and start pushing on your own because the rest is up to you. Why would we ever put our faith and our salvation in a priest that does that? And so I want you to listen to me. He is the only way to salvation. But I want you to understand this. He is not only the start of the bridge. He is the whole bridge to God. He doesn't start the work and expect us to finish the work. He is, he is the Jesus on the cross. And when he was on the cross, he didn't end his life by saying, It is started. With his last breaths, the words were not, It is started. It is finished. It is paid, not in part, but in whole and complete. It is finished. The debt is completely sealed up. The, the, the debt that was paid is completely done with. The salvation is not started. It is complete. It is finished. It is accomplished. It is all done. I want you to listen to me. He alone is the way to salvation. And He alone is the one who is able to save always, fully, and completely. He offers us a salvation. That, to be honest with you, we didn't earn from the beginning. We don't work for it in the end. And, and we didn't do anything to complete it. He did it all. See, He's not the start of the bridge. He is the whole bridge to God, the complete bridge to God. He saves always. He saves forever. He saves complete to the uttermost. And we don't have to worry about losing our salvation because our salvation didn't start with us. It doesn't end with us. And it doesn't depend on us. It started with Him. It ends with Him. And it completely depends on who it is that is a permanent priest that is never going to fail us. And so I want you to hear my heart this morning. Some of you come from very different backgrounds and very different religious traditions. And what they told you was Jesus will get you started and the rest is up to you. And if you don't do it, then you might fall off the bridge somewhere. Well, i got to tell you, a permanent priest builds guardrails on a bridge that you're never going to fall off of. A permanent priest builds a bridge that doesn't just start. It ends at the place of salvation. And if you've started on that road to God through Christ, you're never going to not get where He's going to take you because it doesn't depend on you in any way, shape, or form. Our salvation is in Him, through Him, and completely dependent on Him. It is not based on our works. He didn't get us started and told us to finish it. He did it all. And so for some of us, we need to realize there is a God who loves us so much that He completed 
everything, that He is able to save us to the complete end of our life, through it all, thick, thin, great, bad, all of it. And then I told you there's a lot to unpack in verse 25, and the truth is we're only halfway through this verse, and this is why I told you, if you're looking at the outline, don't look at your watch, but I did tell you we're only going to cover point one today because we're still on point number one if you are following the outline, all right? Because He gives us this second implication, and this is beautiful. The second part of it is found in the last part of verse 25. So I want to start verse 25. He says this. He says, He is always able to save those who come to God through Him. And here's the new part. Since He always lives to intercede for them. See, this is the second aspect of the permanent priest. That He constantly intercedes or makes intercession for us. Now, intercede is a word we, we don't use it very often. Right? In fact, the Bible itself doesn't use it very often. It's only used five times in the New Testament. Once in the book of Acts, three times in the book of Romans, and once here in the book of Hebrews. That's it. Right? So what intercede means is it means to pray for someone that's not yourself or to come on behalf of someone else. Right? So this may be a terrible illustration, but it's the illustration that came to my mind. Right? When you get a speeding ticket you got a couple options when you get a speeding ticket. And I, I, I will speak from confessional, maybe from experience, okay? Your first option is to go face the judge yourself, all right? Some folks take that option, okay? The second option is that you find a lawyer. And you pay that lawyer, and that lawyer goes to the judge for you. So you don't have to go stand before the judge because somebody is going to stand before that judge, make those phone calls, do whatever lawyers do once you pay them that money. They're going to do that on your behalf. Right? They didn't get the speeding ticket. You got the speeding ticket, but they're going to court on your behalf. They are standing in your place to stand before the judge on your behalf. Right? So they are going to plead your case for you. This is what it means to intercede for someone. Right? It is standing in the place of someone, on behalf of someone, praying and pleading for them. When it wasn't you that did it, it was them. Right? And this is what Christ does for them, according to the Scripture. And the them is the us who put our faith and trust in Christ. Right? So what does this mean? I want you to kind of look at this text for just a moment. Because the first thing I want to do is I want to look at what this means for the first century Jew. And then I want to look at what this means for you and me sitting here this morning. Right? Because we want to make keep sure we keep the text in the context. And so for the first century Jew, when this letter was written... We've already talked about when the priest died, there was this, this selection process, and the new priest had to take place, and there was this, uh, he had to be fitted for new robes, or at least the old robes had to be uh, altered to fit him, and there was all this washing and all these ordination things that he had to go through. And, and so, through all of that time, we've talked about it already, the communication line between us and God, between the people and God, all of that stopped. Right? All of that paused. And, and so there was nobody to go to the holy place. There was nobody to go into the holy of holies to intercede on the people's behalf. And so for this time, even a short break in this time, there was this break in the communication that nobody was pleading for us to God. Nobody was speaking for us to God. Nobody was offering sacrifices 
for us to God. And so there's this break in the communication and break in the relationship between us and God. Right? That's the way they saw that pause. Right? And, and it, it was even worse if you got a bad priest. Because remember, priests were mainly selected based on who their daddy was and who their daddy's daddy was and all that, not morally. And so if you got a bad priest who didn't intercede for you on a normal basis, that gap got even longer. And that gap got even bigger because you got a bad priest who wasn't doing his job and you really had to wait till he died to get rid of him anyway. Right? That, that was about the only process of removing a priest in those days. And so I want you to understand that this for a Jew in that context is huge. Because what it means for them is we don't have to wait for this priest to die to reconnect us to God. We've got a priest who is already there. We've got a priest who's already doing this for us. And so the, what the writer is doing, he's pointing to Jesus as his permanent priest who remains forever. And therefore, the communication lines will not be broken. And this makes him superior to any other priest that he's able to do. And, and so wouldn't you rather follow this priest that is permanent? Wouldn't you rather follow this priest? There's no disconnect. There's no disruption in the communication. Wouldn't you rather follow this priest that is consistent and, and doesn't have to be changed in and out? When death doesn't stop the communication line, wouldn't you rather have that priest? And the answer, obviously, for us should be yes. Yes, we want that consistency. Yes, we want that communication line that, that's never broken. Yes, we want someone to intercede for us. Yes, we want an advocate who's always on our side. And so the writer is looking at you and saying, hey, if that's what you want, this is who you need to go with. You need to go with Jesus. He is the answer because He is the one who came to God through Christ because we are the ones who come to God through Christ. And so we have this permanent priest who lives to intercede for us. And since he doesn't die, he doesn't stop interceding for us. Now, what does that mean for you and for me? It means this beautiful idea that we always have an advocate sitting in the throne of God himself. That he is always praying for us. That He's always representing us before God. This is what it means for me, even when I woke up today. It means when Satan shows up in the throne room of heaven, and he does. When Satan shows up and he looks at God and he says, Look at your servant Michael. Look what he's done. I can't believe you would let him continue doing that. When he brings all of my past sins up to God's remembrance, Jesus steps in and he says, Look at these scars in my hand. That one's paid for right here. And the next time I sin, the next time I do something again, and Satan says, listen, God, you can't let this go on. You can't let him keep doing this. You've got to punish him. Jesus steps in and he says, look at this scar in my hand. It's already been paid for. This one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the ones a hundred years from now, and fifty years from now, and ten minutes from now, all of them, they've already been paid for. He is interceding on my behalf when Satan brings the accusations against me. He is the one that says they're already covered. This is why in Romans chapter 8 verse 1, Paul can say there is therefore now no, or excuse me, therefore now no condemnation exists for those that are in Christ because the advocate never stops pleading the case for us. He always exists both now and forever and he intercedes for us. And this is his life purpose. This is what he loves to do. And he's never going to stop doing it. Listen to me clearly. He's never going to wake up one morning for you or for me and be like, listen, I'm tired of taking your case to God. Because He loves to do it. This is what He does. He's never going to wake up one morning and look at my record and be like, listen, dude, you got one more strike. 
And after that, you've got to find a new way. He's never going to do that because his life purpose, the reason of his existence, what he loves to do more than anything else is to stand and intercede on behalf of those that love him and that he loves. And so I've got to share with you that this application it can go further than just the realm of our salvation. Let me show you what I mean. For some of you, life is fairly good right now. For some of you, you stood up and, and you sang the song about reasons to praise and you're like, yes, I've got so many reasons to pray. And, and you're in this great season of life and, and life is going well for you. You're, you're growing in your relationship with Christ. You're, you're opening up His Word and you're going deeper in your faith and you're having your quiet times and your devotion and you're leading your family and your kids and they're growing in faith. And, and for some of you, your, your, your head is just this continual playlist of worship music that just plays all day long. And, and honestly, you can't wait till I stop talking so that you can get up and you can walk out and you can tell somebody how much you love Jesus and how much He's done for you. For some of you, that's the season you're in right now. And so I want to share with you, you've got an advocate who's sitting in heaven pointing all of that out to the Father. You see, you've got an intercessory who's sitting there and he's looking at God and he's saying, Hey, Father, look at him. Look at her. Look what she's doing. Look how great they're doing. Look at the energy they're putting into their relationship with us. Look, look at the service that they're doing. Father, look at, how, look at all that is happening. Look at the energy they're putting into their relationship. Look how far they've come. God, look at how they're serving you. You know what, God? I think that deserves a gold star. And we don't really get gold stars in heaven. You know what we get? Jewels in a crown that lasts forever. We get rewards and a treasure in heaven that never fades away and moths don't decay and it doesn't eat up. And so we have this advocate who's sitting in heaven and every time we do something good, he leans over to the Father and he's like, look at that. I think that deserves another jewel right there. He is your biggest advocate when everything is going well, when everything is doing good, when you are doing all that you can to serve Him and worship Him and, and life is going great. He's sitting at the throne room of God right next to the Father and he's saying, that's it. That's it, God. Look at Him. Man, he's doing so good right now. But for some of us, that's not the case. For some of us sitting here this morning, for some of us watching online, life is, is not good. For some of us, we're not in a good season of life right now. For some of us, in fact, we're in a very dark season of life right now. In fact, for some of us, we're in a time in our life when everything has fallen apart. And for some of us, we're in a time of our life that, that everything is changing around us and we can't keep up with the changes that are constantly happening. For some of us, we're in a time in our life where we are honestly living one breath at a time. And if we're truly honest, we don't know if we have the strength to take another breath. See, in those moments, this is where this verse shouts loud and clear for us. You see, in our deepest, darkest moments of your life, the personal permanent priest, you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. When life makes no sense and you have no idea which way to turn, he's praying for you. When all hope seems lost and you have no clue where the next step is, when all the news is bad and the weight of the world is literally crushing you, and you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. When the spouse walks out of the door, and never comes back in. He's praying for you. 
when the kids are, are bouncing off the walls and you're just about to pull your hair out and you're doing everything you can to contain the frustration and the anger and you're doing all that you can to hold it inside. He's praying for you when your loved one is laying in a hospital bed and they don't know what to do next. He's praying for you when you get that phone call that changes everything. And the life you once knew is no more. He's praying for you. And for some of you, you'll pick up a phone and you'll call a pastor and you'll say, Michael, I just need you to pray about this and I will do it every time. But you listen, I don't know if you think my prayers are more powerful than yours. They're not. But I tell you one whose is. It's the one who sits to the right hand of the Father and it intercedes on our behalf. And when life falls apart, it's the one that looks over the Father and says, God, what are we going to do? What are we going to do to fix this? God, what are we going to do to help their suffering? God, what are we going to do to help them through this situation? God, what are we going to do to make life just a little bit easier for them? And i got to tell you, the answer might not come like we want it to come. The answer might not come like we expect. But I guarantee you the answer will come. Why? Because our advocate never stops interceding for us. For you and for me, his prayers never stop. And we're in Christ. We are never alone. We always have him on our side in the good and the bad. In the best of times and the worst of times. So we sang this song just a little bit ago. And I don't know about you, but and I heard the, I heard the praise team practicing this song. That we still have a reason to praise. I was up in the sound booth when they were practicing and working and getting all the stuff on the screen ready. And I almost lost it up there. And then I came back here and we sang that song that I still have a reason to praise. And here's why. I don't know what your day looks like. I don't know what your month has looked like. I don't know what your years look like. I don't know how difficult life is for you right now. But we still have a reason to praise. Because we have a God who loves us. And a God who saves us. And a God who intercedes on our behalf. And a God who loves us enough to make a way back to Him. And so if you don't think you've got any reason to praise. Go back and read verse 23 through 25. Go back and read about a permanent priest who stepped out of heaven, came down to earth, put himself on a cross to make a way back to show you his love. Go back and read about a permanent priest who saves you. Not starts you, but finishes you and completes you. Go back and read about a priest who is always constantly praying on your behalf and never leaves you nor forsakes you, never wakes up in the morning and says, I'm done with you, will never stop Praying for you. And I don't know about you. But I've got a reason to praise this morning. Because I've got a permanent priest who loves me, who saved me, and always intercedes on my behalf. Let's pray together.